0: Welcome to a special episode of our Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand series brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity. For more information on the Rainmaker Multiplier process and a list of all podcasts in this series, visit claritytoprosperity.com.
1: Welcome everyone. This is going to be a fun topic today. Um, You know, these are one of these ones I actually you know, really look forward to on the calendar. You know, when you see something that's coming up, and you're like, oh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that discussion," because uh, we had we we have a special guest on today, um, David. Do I is it grow? Am I saying it right, David? Hey,
2: Jason, you're the host. It's whatever you want it to be. <laughs> yeah, you, you nailed it. Awesome, awesome.
1: So David spoke at our mastermind. Collegium. And uh, it was one of the most impactful sessions that I've ever attended. And um, so we're actually going to have him back again this December. So I'm really excited about it, David. But he owns Succession Resource Group. And uh, it's basically, you know, MA consulting, you know, succession planning, that type of topic. So it intersects how we've structured like that fifth rung of the advisor career path of your way to partnership to start introducing other equity partners into the fold, into your practice, and a lot of the compensation that we've been taught, you know, been working through. And even, and we have Brian Bibbo that joined us today. And thanks for joining today, Brian.
0: Thanks for having me
1: awesome and so brian is actually in our florida office that we just acquired um actually there's three offices down there but we just closed the deal on october 1st of uh jeanette bajalia's office petros financial and so brian joining us he's spending the week down in florida meeting all the AAA blue diamond clients and so we we you know have some nice uh Stories I'm sure that we can share you know, that what's occurred more recently in, in part of, you know, being part of Jeanette's succession plan and how we're going about, you know, bringing that practice into the fold at J.L. Smith. So, you know, David, um, I'm really excited about the topic. Actually, um, I just wanted you to come speak, you know, at the, at the <laughs> mastermind, but I just read um, the topic in, you know, the bullet points. That you're going to be talking about in in our uh, in your session, and it's it's really it's really going to be uh, it's going to be great, you know, equity, uh, how to structure the business, and why you should start uh, leveraging your equity to retain and attract top talent. I mean, that's going to be great to hear about. It says, yeah. Let me ask you a question. It says internal SOPs. What's SOPs stand for?
2: Standard operating procedures. Just things you can and should be doing internally to build equity. Yeah, exactly, Jason.
1: Excellent. And then just building value, how advisors can create lasting enterprise value go yep. beyond the average valuation. You know, David, I'm going to share with you, I'd like you to comment on this. Um, and I was just telling you about this the other day, Brian. We transitioned our practice off of the grid model onto a salary with um, incentive compensation bonuses. So we do like a monthly sales bonus and then a quarterly uh, profitability bonus, right? That everybody in the firm participates in the quarterly profitability bonus. The monthly sales bonus is just the front stage advisors working with clients that get that additional component to their total compensation package. And we transitioned two years over to that. And, um, because we were dealing and struggling with issues, having the grid in the silos it was creating and the conflicts of interest it was creating even internally within our practice. So we transitioned over and it was the best thing we ever did. Um, but I just had lunch uh, like a month or uh, six, eight weeks ago with a, um, with a guy that is gobbling up practices all over the country. And um, so I'm like, Hey, what can I, you know, I get a free lunch and see what I can learn from this guy. Right. And so he's like, I'm going to be in Cleveland. Let's, let's have lunch. And he told me that the practices that they're buying have a like that are on the grid. They're buying them for a multiple of two to five times revenue. He said, uh, he said uh, the practices that are on the W-2 model with, a, with bonus structure, like what we moved over to, are going for eight to 12 times reoccurring revenue of a multiple, is what they're buying these things for. That, like, I about fell out of my chair when I heard that. I'd love to hear, like, any kind of contradiction or validation of, of that.
2: Yeah, I I would say, I mean, number one, a question back to you, Jason, because you said, obviously, two years later, the adjustment to the compensation model, best thing you guys have done. How was the journey over the two years? Piece of cake, just flipped a switch and it all happened?
1: No, I mean, (laughs) the year, Brian, how long were we working on, like, at first, you were pretty adamantly (laughs) against it. How long were we working on leading up to that, a year and a half? yeah something like that and and i was gonna laugh and say it, i was probably the biggest problem you had that I, you had to sell me first and foremost and, and then we could get the staff on board but yeah it, it took about a year and a half we really got serious with it uh within the last six months of things and, and diving into the details
2: yeah and that's been my experience jason is compensation drives behavior. I don't think that's new to anybody as a concept, but you're spot on. I mean, as you look at building sort of true enterprise value, which is not for everybody. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with building a really nice, simple, lean lifestyle business, or you can build the ensemble team that has scale. It can grow. It can someday operate independent of you. You just got to be careful to not get caught in the middle. It's like competing on price. Be cheap, or be expensive and own that. Don't don't be in the middle or you're gonna get squeezed out by one or the other. challenge challenges there are so many folks who have a great lifestyle practice that I think hear the benefits of the ensemble model, but they don't have the compensation model set up. Basically you don't have all the partners rowing in the same direction. And it only takes one person rowing in the wrong direction for your ensemble to go horribly off track. So to your point, compensation, Getting away from that grid-based, you know, GDC-based model is the first step, frankly, in creating a more true integrated team. As, but as you've lived it, it ain't easy. Uh, and unfortunately, sometimes you end up having to shed, you know, an advisor or two that just isn't as aligned. Um, but I mean, it really is the core of driving enterprise value. And to get to your point on the multiples, part of what people you know don't realize is is how you value these businesses. Even when you use you know, just simple rules of thumb, like he had mentioned at the lunch with you, generally, if you're buying a book of business, like 80% of the transactions you see out there for buying a book of business are gonna pay two to three times the recurring revenue. A really good one, well-run, you know, might get you know, 3.2, 3.3, but even and generally two to three is gonna cover it. When you see true teams, as in like, you know, we could take Jason out and put the cone of silence over him to get the reference and the business operates for the next six months until we let him back in, operates fine. Like it would have been better with him there, but it can operate independent of him. I mean, there are so few businesses, our industry aside, that ever actually get to that point where the business works for you, you don't work for it. But as soon as you get there, two things happen, one, the multiples shift from top line to net income multiples, you know, EBITDA or EBOC, two, the multiples get a lot bigger. Now, to be fair, it's on a slightly smaller number, but the total value is still significantly larger on turnkey businesses, but it ain't easy. Um,
1: Greg, you might have some good questions. It's so funny because I've been working with Greg and and on this topic with him and his two partners. We had a two hour meeting yesterday. It was just ironic that um, I didn't realize that we had you on today. So Greg, (laughs) if you have anything you wanna ask him, this might be a great opportunity. I do have something before I forget. Um, One of the things that I've learned and read about David is that um, what a lot of owners make the mistake of is they don't start kind of passing the baton and allowing the other lead advisors to start purchasing or doing, whether it's purchasing or equity grants or whatever this your method is to get in on ownership. And then the problem that poses, because instinctively I think owners say, I wanna build as big as it possibly can (laughs) get and then sell for the maximum. But the problem that poses is that nobody can afford to buy it internally anymore. And then you're forced to sell to an outside uh, buyer. And then it causes massive disruption in many cases for the advisors, for the staff, for the clients, change of culture, change of everything. And so, um, so, you know, I would love to know your thoughts on, some of the best methodologies, if you have key internal team members that you might want to start that process of succession planning, Um, and particularly, you know, rainmaker type of advisors, you know, what are some of the best practices, whether it be equity, like in my case with Brian and I, right? Brian and I own the practice. I own the majority. Brian bought in at a minority stake. Brian might wanna own more as time goes on. Like what's a, what's a best practice of how he might be able to you know, earn, earn a higher
2: percentage of the
1: ownership in the future?
2: So yeah, you a know, lot to unpack there, Jason, and we'll do some foreshadowing because we get to go deeper on this you know, in person in December to your point, but to answer this specific question, it's, and we tell owners, founders this, this all the time, Sadly, sometimes when they are going through it, you will share equity. If you're building a team, you're going to share equity one way or the other. You can be involved in that process or not, but it is going to happen because equity isn't the ownership in your LLC or your S Corp. It's not the ownership in your book of business. Equity is the relationships you have with clients. That, at its core, is what has value in a financial services business. And I use that term generically on purpose. I would be applying that to. CPAs, insurance agents, registered reps, investment advisors, RIAs, all of the above. The value isn't in the revenue. It's not in the recurring revenue or the profits. Those are derivative of the relationship. You don't have the relationship. You don't have any of the other stuff. So when I say you're going to share equity, I mean, if you build a robust team and you train them well to be mini use, at least initially, until they you know, sort of grow into their own person, what's going to end up happening is you'll get to be let's say 60, maybe 65, if you really love what you're doing and you'll have the team doing really well and you'll start taking Mondays off because Mondays suck, right? Like, so team's holding down the fort, you're there four days a week, you know, you ease into it. What people end up finding out is if you take Mondays off, all it does is turn Tuesday into a Monday. So they take, you know, half day on Tuesday. Uh, you know, it's nice to have a longer weekends So they're taking Fridays off, but the business is still growing. The team's doing great. Eventually, you know, they their spouse decide. All right, next year, you know, is, is the year, or two years from now is the year. You go to your team and you say, "All right, I, I want to honor you know my commitment to you. You've done amazing. You guys are doing great with the firm. You know, I'm here less and less, and you guys are still having tons of wins. That's fantastic. I want to start doing succession planning. I'll sell you my business, and you know, we'll start small. Got evaluation done. It's five million dollars, and they come back and say." We appreciate it. That's awesome. But, and it's always the but that gets you in this process, but we're worth 5 million now, presumably a couple of years ago when you started cutting back, we were probably worth what, you know, three, three and a half proportionally. So really the issue of a million and a half has mostly come from us and we get it. You know, you paid us fairly. We just, we don't think it's fair to pay the full 5 million, which means you sell it for four and a half or for four. That's why I say you're going to give up equity. Either you're going to acknowledge it at the time and have an awkward conversation. You're going to do it proactively and avoid the awkward conversation, but feel like you're giving something away, but you're not. Or you're going to have that awkward conversation. You're going to dig your heels in and say, no, you were paid fairly for the job you did. You've now earned the right to buy the business. And they'll say either, okay, or they'll leave. And what you just did was train a really competent, capable competitor who's going to leave and take a handful of clients, which means they still have equity. You just didn't give it to them. So it's gonna happen one way or the other. So I would say, start at the, the beginning, job descriptions, career track, lay those things out. I don't care if you're a three person team, what does the career track look like? What does the general progression look like for somebody on your team, all the way up to being a partner? You can start simple, just build it in a spreadsheet. What are the general qualifications? What are the general duties? How much time in the saddle do they need? Designations? Just start to write this stuff down and communicate it. And then to get to your specific question, Jason, keep it simple. Start with something like phantom equity if you have to. You know, you can do liquidation rights where it's just, I'm gonna give Jason a percentage of the total value of the company if he's here when I decide to retire. He basically won't have to pay full market value. There's lots of easy ways to ease into this and the last thing i'll say i'll give the mic back to you jason is when you think about sharing equity you can either give it to them you can sell it to them or you can sell it to them at a discount and like you mentioned jason with a minority discount again as an owner founder it sucks to sell any of your company at a reduced price where you get the benefit is if you're doing it with the right people if you sell 30 percent of your company i'm going to pick a big number for this first tranche. I sell Jason 30% of Succession Resource Group, and he's such an amazing contributor, the idea and the premise here is, yeah, I'll sell him a 30% for a reduced value. Because minority discounts can be in the 10 to 40% range. It can be a pretty big hit. But when I sell it to him at the reduced value, the idea is five years from now, I have not had to do as much work, but my 70% is worth the same or more back than when I had 100%. That is succession planning done right.
0: Built on the foundation of the award-winning Bucket Plan process, Clarity to Prosperity's proven processes, training, and coaching can help you increase your revenue. If you are a growth-minded, independent financial advisor, you qualify for a free copy of the Bucket Plan book. Go to claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer to get your free book today. That's claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer.
1: That's awesome. Well, you made me feel uh, pretty good about the last <laughs> three years of what, what I what we've been building with the advisor career path and compensation e-learnings and live trainings and everything we've been doing. So that, that part's good. Like in my situation with Brian, Brian, like I'm going to recall it the way I remember it, but sometimes that's not actually the way <laughs> it happened. So you can kind of fact check me on, you know, how this unfolded. But from what I remember... You know, it was like maybe seven years ago and JL Smith was struggling a little bit financially and I offered you equity. At that time you were getting paid like 10% of the profit of the company, I think it was. And we weren't really that profitable and I offered you to buy in. And you were like, well, wait a second. Like <laughs> if, if, if you got to put personal money in, does it mean I have to put personal money in? And I was like, yeah. And you're like, no, I'll just keep my deal the way it is, like 10% of the profit. And then a few years went by and we became, you know, more stable and more successful. And a huge part of that, I'm glad Jeff's on the call. You know, Jeff was a huge part of that. You were a huge part of that in ramping up JL Smith. And then you came back and at that, then it was like, hey, I'd like to, you know, go ahead and take you up in your offer. And at that time, I'm like, oh, the company's worth a lot more money now. It's funny, just what you described, David. And so what I did is I went back and said, all right, I'll still offer you that equity grant of 10%. Like I, and I'll go, you know, just, just, I'll honor that agreement, even though you didn't take it at the time, but under the condition that you have to also buy an extra 10%, and, and then what I did do, David, is I actually offered a discount on valuation, and we went back like two years, I think, to when we had a valuation done, and we grew exponentially over that two-year period, because um, this is like four years ago, and then two years ago, you became a partner. So I did a combination of the two. I did a 10% equity grant, and then I did a, a, a discount on valuation on the other 10%. Is that about right, Brian? Yeah, pretty spot on. You gave me the best annuity in the world.
0: You gave me 10% of profits with no downside risk. And I wasn't ready to change out that annuity to have downside risk and put money into the business. So yeah, pretty spot on. There's a few other parts, but, but you nailed it.
1: And so my big thing is now, going into the future, I don't want to be part of the story that I've heard. That you know, and I'm younger though, David. Like I'm not 60, 65. I'm 46. Right. So, and you know, and I'm still very active in the business, not the production, but in running and growing the business. So that's, I think that's the biggest thing I get questions on on a regular basis. Um, is how do you, you know, how do you structure the continued growth of the kind of junior partners? to become more senior in their equity holdings, right? Their percentage of, of ownership.
2: Yeah, and, and that really, I mean, one of the things you mentioned there, Jason, with you being younger, it's, this stuff is at its core, so similar to the work you all do with your clients. If I came to you, Jason, as a 70 year old, you know, retiree and said, hey, I've got a million dollars saved up, you know, in my you know, savings account and CDs, can you help me? Sure. If I'd have come to you when I was 50 with half a million, you probably could have done a lot more for me than you can now. It's and it's the same thing with succession planning and equity sharing. The earlier you start it, it seems premature in many cases. But again, if the end goal is to try to create a business that does not need you, and I would tell you, those are the most valuable businesses out there you can't start that process early enough. But to be fair, you also generally want to try to keep, you know, controlling interest of the business you founded. But at its core, you start simple, you start small. A lot of people will start with phantom equity. You don't have to start there, but it's it's an easy way that you can make changes to it. You can make it more aggressive, more liquid, if you will. You can eventually convert that into an actual equity sharing plan. And then over time, to your question, Jason, you start with you know, letting them buy in the first couple percentage points, whatever it might be. If you want to sell more equity, it's probably gonna be bank finance. And there are a handful of banks out there now doing that. We didn't have that you know five and 10 years ago, there was no financing available. Then five years ago, we started to see some industry lenders committed, but they wouldn't finance buy-ins, they would finance buy-outs. But now we have access to both. So you can do small tranches, and do it multiple times. And then the core is just simply to keep that sort of career track idea going that, all right, well now you've made partner. Well, how do you get me to give up more equity in the future? Well, we need to start doing some role transition planning and figuring out A, what are the roles? And B, just acknowledge as we grow, we're gonna start to have to have more specialization. I mean, think about when you start out a business. I mean, I'll go use myself as an example. When I started Succession Resource Group, I was chief cook and dishwasher, as all the rest of you listening today were. And then eventually you get some clients and you realize, all right, I can't answer the phone and do, you know, valuations or succession planning. So I'll get somebody to answer the phone. Well, now I got two balls to juggle. And then eventually, I've got enough work. I need I need an assistant, and I got three balls to juggle. It's the exact same process, and it never stops. The problem is, for a lot of folks, they feel like they sort of reach you know the top of the mountain, you know, the zenith of their career because now they have partners that they brought in. It doesn't change until you, as the founder, have literally made yourself irrelevant. Then you have done your job, and I would tell you. Not uncommon that by that point you might be down to a 20 or 30% ownership stake. But kind of by design, because if you have 51 or 60% and you're an absentee owner, again, you're going to end up someday having a really awkward conversation, you know, where people get tired of pushing the rock up the hill with an absentee owner who's got the majority stake. So I think it's just about, you know, having do what you all do best. You help people plan for retirement. This is, you know, our industry is kind of the shoemaker's kids with no shoes. The equity sharing is step one. Building a career track, you know, for yourself where you eventually someday can hopefully become sort of like of counsel, like you see in law practices. That is actually the end of the career track that we need to try to figure out. And it goes back to my point earlier of we need to define what are our goals for the business, the roles job titles, descriptions, not for where we are today, where we wanna be five years from now. Because that's the only way we're gonna be able to fill that org chart in and feel organized about it is knowing if we double in size, what are the roles? And generally, and I love that you started this call out, Jason, when talking about shifting your compensation models, you cannot get any real size and scale as a siloed operation. It just isn't simply scalable. As an ensemble, we start to divide and conquer. Like initially, I service clients and I bring in clients. I build my book of business. Presumably, I'm really good at one of those two things, but I can do both. But as we get bigger, I focus on just being you know, a hunter, or I focus on just being a farmer, or I focus on just marketing. It's, it's that same track, I think, Jason, as you talk about you know, continuing to share equity and earn it is. What are the things you continue to do as a founder that you're good at? What are the things that you're great at? Like, what's the one or two things you actually love doing? And as you can push the rest of that stuff down, then you start sharing more and more equity with the folks taking that stuff on.
1: Yeah, that's helpful. I'm actually working with a client right now where this is Jermaine, he's a 401k provider. And his issue was he waited too long. His, his company got too valuable. Yeah, And now he's trying to do an ESOP or he's trying somehow to sell some of, or part of the, the business. And he's going to be forced probably to go to third parties, which would you know. Now he has the guilt factor of there's a good chance that his staff and people, you know, some of them aren't going to keep their jobs because some company will buy him in and fold in the you know the the administration of it all. And the last 30 years of building a family, you know, ends with the inability for him to get liquid uh, for his investment and maintain you know the people that he's supported that long
2: yeah you're spot on if you're as successful as I think you probably all hope to be, unless you probably wouldn't be spending time you know here working on your business versus working in it, you you can really quickly, if you're not careful, outgrow your team's ability to be able to afford to buy you. And even when you because we've run into this before where they, the founder will come back and say, well, actually, I've talked to a couple of banks. They said they bankroll the next generation, hundred percent of what the money that they need. Well, that's great assuming the next generation is willing to go from being a W-2 employee who does a great job Monday through Friday for the last, you know, 12 years to taking on $4 million of debt or 10 million, or whatever the number is, I mean, that's just, that's a big leap. And even when you get the employee to say, you know what? I see the value, Jason, I still wanna do it. Great, then they go home and they talk to their spouse and they come back and say, "Uh, yeah, my spouse has some questions. And then you get through that and then the CPA has questions or your mom and dad or the mother-in-law. It just, when you have that big of a leap to your point, Walter, it it just can be really, really challenging. And I think succession planning with internal folks, I mean, I hate to say it this way, it's like boiling a frog. You don't turn the water up to a high boil and throw it in because it's going to hop right back out or at least it's going to try to. You do it slow and you ease them into it because... Most employees don't have a habit of just, you know, suddenly taking on millions of dollars of debt to buy into a small, closely held business. It can look great in the spreadsheets, but there's an emotional component to a lot of this. And there's no guarantee that people want to do that, by the way. Yeah. They might might want
1: to keep their nine-to-five job and not have the headaches of suddenly ownership.
2: And how great is it to know that well in advance of retirement, you know, where, Jason, you start this process early and... We have this all the time where folks will tell us, you know, I got seven great people on the team. I mean, lots more than that, but seven that I think will be, you know, next generation sort of G2, G3 owners, Gen 2, Gen 3. And we say, great, let's, you know, let's get the plan all mapped out. We do, it looks amazing in the spreadsheets. I mean, these things are second to none. And then they go and they have the conversation with their Gen 2 and Gen 3 folks, and they come back and they're quite astounded that only three of them raised their hand and opted in. And it, I mean, it shouldn't be surprising. Again, some of them might have an entrepreneurial bone very you know, deep in their body that we just need to nurture. Some don't, to your point, Walter. They, you know, nothing, nothing wrong with it at all. They love what they do. They love the company they work for, and they want it to be successful. Those can be great people to let participate in like a phantom equity plan. They don't have to be part of the succession plan to get the benefit of equity.
1: David, last question to kind of land the plane to get, uh, before we wrap up here, is um, let's say I'm a practice that's about a million bucks for round figure's sake, but I am the sole rainmaker really. If I'm gone, the practice is nothing like what it was without me, right? Um, Then more of a solo practice. Um, Then let's say that I'm considering doing a merger with like say a $4 million practice that is a true ensemble, that I could plug in and kind of delegate most all the business, running the business, the marketing, all of the operations, finance, everything else, just be a financial planner. But instead of selling it, I wanna merge with it. So my million dollars merges with this $4 million practice. So now we're five million and now I'm sitting and I own 20%. Yep. Because of the statement you made earlier, I'm assuming my 20%, my million dollars immediately becomes worth a bunch more. Because if I go down, like now we, we're I'm part of an ensemble practice. So that multiple in essence just went up pretty pretty big for me. Um, if I were to do that merger, is that a fair
2: assessment? Yeah, I think it's spot on. You know, building a business is so, sort of already tied to you as a professional service business. Number one, business is generally tied to you as the owner founder. It's why you have clients because because they they like you, they like what you can do. But as you can get some size and scale to your point, Jason. Yeah, you take the four million dollar business and the one million dollar business and merge them together and they're not worth five, they're probably worth 5.3, 5.5. You just have an instant lift in equity. And usually you end up growing faster. So long-term, not only do you have instant equity, but you also tend to see the equity and the value grow faster as a result, which is pretty cool.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, David. I cannot wait to uh, spend time with you both to hear you speak and the cocktail hours and everything else. And, and at the Mastermind Collegium in December. And thank you all for being here today.
0: Interested in learning more about the topics discussed today? We want to know more about your challenges and priorities and how we can help build your custom roadmap to success. That's right. A custom roadmap built just for you. Schedule a free 20-minute consultation with one of our business development partners. Visit c2pe.info forward slash podcast to schedule a time that's good for you. That's c2pe.info forward slash podcast.